Hello everyone, 7 Investing CEO Simon Erickson here, and thank you for listening to the 7 Investing Podcast. Our podcast is made possible by our subscribers, who allow us to empower you to invest in your future each and every month. In exchange, we give our subscribers exclusive access to our monthly stock market recommendations from each of our lead advisors. To support this podcast and join other 7 Investing fans in our exclusive Subscribers Forum, where we discuss the latest market moves in real time, go to 7investing.com slash subscribe to subscribe to 7investing today. We're here to empower you to invest in your future. We are 7investing. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's edition of the 7 Investing Podcast, where it's our mission to empower you to invest in your future. You can learn more about our long-term investing approach and see our favorite stock market recommendations each and every month at 7investing.com. I'm 7 Investing founder and CEO, Simon Erickson. Let's talk to another founder and CEO who's on a mission out there. Excited to welcome Elizabeth Alfano to the program today. She is the CEO of VegTech Invest and also the creator of the EATV ETF which is the world's only plant-based innovation and climate ETF available for public investors. Elizabeth, welcome to the 7 Investing Podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. You know, we'll talk a little bit more about the ETF in a minute, but can you tell me just a little bit about kind of what your goals of creating this were and what you're out there to achieve? Mm, yes, absolutely. So I, I am 56. I want to make the most impact in the world in the time that I have. I'm going to say, you know, give or take 30 years. And I thought, well, how can I use my skills and my resources to make the most change possible in the shortest amount of time? And when I looked at systems change around food systems uh, globally, I realized that by shifting one's investments and by shift by investing in food systems transformation, I could impact, of course, people's revenue and you know potential alpha for the maybe non-financial folks, their potential impact or their potential upside, but I could also impact climate change, biodiversity loss, food insecurity, and food insecurity and national security are actually tightly linked. Uh, soil health, human health, animal welfare, human healthcare costs, uh, really the, the list is quite long. And so I thought, well, this is something not only that could be good for returns, but could be good for the planet and people and when I started doing all the research, I realized, oh, there's going to be a massive shift of the global food supply system. It hasn't really had disruption in hundreds, if not thousands of years. And it the system, which served us all well when we were growing up, does not feed a growing population. It requires too many resources. It's too inefficient. We can talk about why that is. And so I thought, oh, the change is coming and I want to be there as an investor out in front. So that's why I, one of the reasons why I started the Plant-Based Innovation and Climate ETF, EATV. I do want to talk about why that is. It's not too often we talk about an industry that's been the same way for thousands of years on the program here. Technology moves fast, but it seems like there's some innovation needed for food systems. Uh, before we jump into some of what you mentioned on that list, what do you mean when you're saying food system innovation? Or maybe perhaps talk a about some of the limitations about how we're doing things out there right now. Yeah, and that's deeply tied to the ETF. So I'll just go ahead and explain that so that it's kind of a 3D perspective. So in the EATV, um, Plant-Based Innovation and Climate ETF, 
we invest up and down the supply chain. That's why I call it food systems, because it's really the entire supply chain, because that's where you're going to see all your emissions is really in the scope three, way up there on the top of the supply chain. So to impact the climate and other inefficiencies or other damaging uh, current systems, you need to go all the way through the supply chain. So we invest up and down the supply chain on those companies that are actively innovating to replace unsustainable and inefficient current food systems practices for sustainable consumption. So that's plant-based innovation being just a really efficient technology as well as a kind of technology and better for human health. So um, we look at those companies globally. So a lot of diversification there because you're up and down the supply chain. So lots of different kinds of companies in the supply chain like ag tech and um, uh, technology companies, ingredient companies, and flavor and texture companies. And then at the end of the road, you have these consumer packaged goods companies. Um, so this diversification along the supply chain, but around the world. And then also you have smaller players, which would be small cap, but you also have mid cap and large cap players. We can talk about who those legacy food companies are that are shifting the global food supply system, these large caps. So you have all this diversification. Okay, I've gone off on a tad bit of a, a tangent. Um, and so we like to capture the whole story of the transformation because as we said, you know, animal husbandry, this kind of thing really hasn't changed. I mean, they're, they're squeaking every last, last ounce out of the animal that they can now in animal factories, but there's just not more to go. There's just nowhere to go there, right? That, that innovation curve is at its end, whereas the plant-based innovation curve is just beginning. So those technologies that are going to replace animals, and when you replace animals... That means you no longer have to cut down trees to grow crops, give those crops water and land. They produce food that has protein and fiber. Are we giving that food to people? No, we're giving it to animals and they need more land, water, time, oh, better cut down more trees. Those trees could have sequestered carbon. Oh, well, we won't be doing that. We'll cut them down, get a lot of biodiversity loss when we cut down the Amazon. Got to give more water more land, more time, more food, still not feeding that food to people. We're still feeding that food to animals. So you see the inefficient business equation. And so it's these inefficient business efficiencies, inefficient business equations that are going to be done away with for business interests, for political interests, and also for human health and planetary interests. Uh, those are all very good interests. I want to add in the financial and investing interests in that too, Elizabeth. Since we are an investing show, I've got to be fair to the investors listening too. We'll get into the consumer packaged goods in a minute. We'll talk about operations in a minute too, but let's start far upstream, like you were just mentioning just a moment ago. Uh, we saw some research from Beyond Meat a little while ago that said that ag animal agriculture accounts for about 15% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions, and two-thirds of those are coming directly from cows. Uh, you put some similar research up on your own website that says that the Boston Consulting Group uh, quantified it that plant-based innovation would grow from about $40 billion to $290 billion by 2035. Seems like there's a pretty big opportunity here to displace, like we were saying, far upstream in the process, the reliance on animals and all the resources that, re that they require. Is that kind of the um, the core of, of what you're trying to change or you're looking, looking to change in the world out there? People often ask me this, am I trying to change something? No, what I'm trying to say, and it links directly to investors, is when I talk about all those systems disruption, 
that's where one makes money. They make money by investing in the technologies before they're adopted en masse around the world. So it's not going to be Brooklyn and San Francisco that got the memo. No, this is, meat isn't going away, but how we make meat is going away. And that's going to be ubiquitous, whether it's India, China, old people, young people, educated, non-educated, north, south, healthy, not healthy, young, old, the world is going to be eating differently because if we don't, we're going to have political struggles because some people are going to have food and water and some aren't because of the equations. We've talked about way too much land, water, and tree deforestation use. So to feed a growing population, we have to make this shift. And I know from my research that this is what's coming down the pipeline. Do I know exactly what year? No, I can make guesses and we can talk about that. But from an investing standpoint, when I think about investors, I think about getting in early before that massive S-curve adoption. So you are right. That's the Boston Consulting Group that puts out the study that says we're about 39 billion right now as a, as a value cap, and the market's going to 29 billion, give or take, COVID through a a year or two wrench in that, but give or take, we're going to 290 billion by 2035. And why is that? Because there are three main stakeholders that are looking at food system shift, which means we can invest in that shift and, and potentially make money. That would be the goal here. Um, the consumers, Gen Z, millennials, they are eating in a way that their parents just did not. They're thinking about the planet. They're thinking about their own health. They are thinking about how they want to move through the world. So you have the consumer that is more educated than ever, and that's increasing exponentially with AI. So they know who's a bad actor, and they also know about what they want to put in their body and where that package came from. So we have the consumer that wants something. Now we have governments around the world. China is investing heavily in alternative proteins, Israel, Singapore, the Netherlands, Germany, U.S., although U.S. is not, you know, kind of lazy, a little bit lazy there. Um, and that's going to shift dramatically because whoever owns food IP is going to have a lot more power in trade talks, et cetera. So um, food systems innovation is going to become a topic, I believe of uh, national security discussions. So you're seeing governments invest, that's gonna help ramp up to 290 billion. And you're seeing industry itself invest for changes. Currently, the business equation that they have is a very inefficient one. It takes about 25 to 35 crops to give a cow to get one calorie of beef takes 15 to 16 for pigs to get one calorie of pork, nine to get one calorie of chicken. So who says as an investor, oh, I'm going to give you 30 cents. I just want a penny back. No one does that, right? A 30 to one ratio is a bad equation. So the business equation behind the food that we eat is very inefficient, not a good one for the business owners. And then as we become more cognizant about emissions, everyone's going to want to change their supply change emissions. It's becoming more and more transparent to Gen Z and millennials. Who's dumping pollution in rivers? Who's putting out the most emissions? Uh, Beyond Meat is even low, I will say. According to uh, FAO and the United Nations Environmental Program, it's it's closer to like 16.5% of the world's global emissions come from animal agriculture. A whopping 32% of the world's methane comes from animal factory farms. 
factories, animal factories. So that's untenable, it's unsustainable. And so one of the things we do with our ETF, if I could just uh, share this story, because I think it's a great one and I have a visual if you want me to pull it up. Um, sure. We have been certified as carbon neutral by a third party ethos ESG, which is part of ACA Global. They found us to be carbon neutral without needing to buy credits, because if you're not making the meat that makes emissions, if you're just avoiding those emissions altogether, you don't need to buy credits because you're not covering up any emissions. But we asked them to go one step further. And we said, what would be the global temperature warming potential of eat V compared to say the S&P 500, the most common investment tool out there? The S&P 500 index has a global warming temperature potential of 3.2 degrees Celsius. The Paris Accords wants us to stay under 1.5, ideally. Eat V, this Food Systems Transformation, Plant-Based Innovation and, and Climate ETF, has a 1.18 degrees Celsius temperature potential increase. So well under 1.5 and a two degree difference between uh, us and the S&P 500 index. So you see the kind of magnitude. This is also why we believe it's going to be adopted en masse, these technologies to continue to make beef, but without the, the expensive middleman in the middle, without the animals. So you still get the meat, just how we make it is different. Um, you see that there are drivers that are not going to accept that our global food supply system puts out 3.2 degrees centigrade of change. It's just not possible for us to withstand that line. So that's why we see mass adoption because we have to do it. And all three stakeholders, the industry, government, and consumer, they all want the same thing at the same time. This is a massive push for change. And therefore, we see a big investment opportunity. That's the one I want to double click on, Elizabeth. I want to talk about that industry stakeholder. It makes sense, the political and then societal impacts of it certainly makes sense. Let's talk about how this is actually going to happen. Because if we're talking about an order of magnitude change, right, call it $35 billion industry today, to what BCG is, is calling a $390 billion uh, industry within the next decade or so, there's going to be a ton of investment required even to meet that demand. You know, if, if the demand is for real, consumers want this, there's going to need to be investment in this. Uh, when you think holistically about the supply chain of how we're doing things today versus how we would need to do things to meet that demand, what parts of the supply chain are most in need of repair or what parts do you think are going to require the most investment? Yeah. So, we really believe the money to be made is along the B2B supply chain, not the consumer packaged goods perhaps at the end. So what needs the most investment because it will produce the most positive results in the shortest amount of time, ultimately we are tasked with feeding more people more nutritiously in a shorter amount of time, using fewer resources, creating less damage. That's what we have to do. And so you look at these technologies. So plant-based innovation would be making high protein foods out of plants because plants is where protein starts. That's why the animals eat plants. It's where protein starts. So you have protein in plants, particularly legumes and grains and things. So that would be plant-based foods, but then you have Precision fermentation, biomass fermentation, harnessing the incredible protein and growth potential of things like microbes, algae, fungi, such a fascinating world, basically using technology we already have, like brewing beer. 
fermenting beer, fermenting bread, you know, you can use these technologies and even more advanced. There's a lot of um, precision fermentation already in the pharma industry, for example. Um, that's how we make insulin today. We used to factory produce insulin from pigs and it was too unsustainable of a supply chain because of African swine fever. It was too messy of a supply chain because of fecal matter. These things all on your food, folks. Uh, and on, Elizabeth. Was, Let's get past that point. <laughs> it was, we'll move right on. Uh, so the, the pharma industry decided to skip the pig altogether, and they create the insulin needed in a controlled environment using no animals, no land, no water, none of this stuff. I mean, very little water. Obviously, there's some water in there. Um, but um, so we're looking at the same thing, but on the scale for the food systems. So you can create the same amount of meat as a cow would produce in say two years, you can create that in about three hours using bio uh, mass fermentation. So very, you know, when you harness that technology at scale, you're talking about a much cheaper way of production, much um, less resource use, very little damage and just a more prolific way of feeding the world as the population grows. So then there's also cultivated meat, taking the cells from the animal and just growing the piece of food that you want, not the eyes and the ears and the blood and the tail, and the hooves, but just the filet mignon. And now very few people can afford filet mignon, but when you get that at scale, it's filet mignon for Africa, it's filet mignon for India, you know, it's, you're talking about really a food justice issue as well. I don't want to get away from investing. I'm just saying that the potential alpha here has this enormous halo effect of all these other things you can impact. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It definitely does have an impact, you know, and Elizabeth, as someone who personally worked on alternative energies in a past life, I certainly see the opportunity for it. There's a lot that can be done with this, but uh, pun intended when I say this, we still have a chicken or the egg argument to be made on this one, uh, which is the scale. You mentioned the scale, and that's always a question that's on the mind of how cheaply can you produce this if you're replacing something that's already mass market? And whether that's biofuels or bioprocessing or whatever it is, when you're still selling to retailers like the Costco's of the world, and you've got plant-based meat that's competing against 
the traditional meats that we're selling today. And if one is 10 or 15% higher, consumers still are going to vote with their, with their wallets, especially in, with inflation and interest rates going up in the macro that we're serving today. How do you respond to critics or, or people that would say, you know, hey, this is just going to be more expensive for a long time? We see the potential for scale, you know, down the road, but we've still got to, to battle the, uh, the price tag uh, barrier and hurdle in the meantime here. Well, I think that's a consumer at the grocery store question, and I'm happy to answer it. But from an investor standpoint, I'll just say, can't time the market. And when this shifts, it's going to shift really quickly. That is not a quote from me. That is a quote from the people that I've interviewed off the record from Cargill. Cargill, JBS, Maple Leaf, these large meat manufacturers around the world, Nestle, Danone, and Dairy. They're all making investments for change because they see what's coming down um, the pipeline. So yes, right now it is still more expensive. And I would say, who can blame the consumer? Of course, you vote with your dollars and, you know, single mother of three is walking through the grocery store. She's grabbing what's easy to make and what's affordable. Let's be realistic. Um, that said, there are many factors at play as we live in this post-COVID world, if you will. So we've had a lot of droughts. That means that a lot of cows have died. That means cow beef is going to be very expensive in the next two years. So you don't, it's not just that plant-based items are expensive. The real true cost of animal proteins is going to go up as we start to internalize these, what used to be formally external costs to society, their costs of emission, their costs of polluting water, their costs of using so much water. So you're going to see a lot of inflation in beef in particular. So part of it is plant-based coming down, but also with inflation you're, and, and climate risk, you're really seeing animal proteins also increase. And then as more governments spend more money, now they're competing, not just to feed, you know, you're not getting reelected if you're not feeding people. So, you know, we're getting more and more political pressure. So more dollars coming in from around the globe. This is just going to scale up uh, innovations, which means it's going to be adopted faster. At the same time, you have a political climate where people are realizing uh, things like emissions and they're starting to take this into factors in their balance sheet, as well as inflation. So you're just going to see um, almost like a, and I don't want to say an inversion because animal proteins are, you know, have some subsidy benefits, et cetera. It's not like it's a completely free market out there, uh, but you, their costs are rising as well. And the plant-based costs are coming down, particularly as industry gets on board and you get those large distribution chains from something like a ConAgra, which puts out Gardein, which is already at price parity. Um, you get those distribution chains and those advertising dollars and you see the equations start to shift. And, and perhaps the dollars per pound that, that's shown on the price tag of something you buy in the grocery store isn't reflecting the total costs, especially when you consider some of those other negative impacts that are based on how we're doing things today. That is right. And we haven't even talked about the impact of healthcare costs. The majority of diseases today, about 3.1 trillion is impacted on the economy for basically lifestyle diseases, type two diabetes, heart risk, high tension, obesity, cancers, colon cancer, large Wall Street Journal article that just came out yesterday about processed meats, bacon, deli meats, sausage, breakfast sausages, hot dogs, all class one carcinogens, raising your risk of colon cancer 18%. Please everybody go. Go Google that Wall Street Journal and um, processed meats. So, you know, there, there are external costs and you pay them. You just maybe don't note it when you scan at the grocery store, but you pay them. 
Sure thing. And let, let's let's touch on one last thing here, kind of farther downstream in the supply chain too, which is the quick service restaurants or the QSRs. Um, I have a wife who's vegan. You know, Elizabeth, I know that you are vegan too. I can proudly say I've tried the Impossible Whopper and the uh, plant-based options that are out there. Um, it seems like a lot of those uh, fast food places have have embraced this, you know, at least in, in trials of, of, you know, offering something that's different than what was traditionally on the menu. How are you seeing the reception to plant-based alternatives to traditional meats? Are, yeah. are, were these were these shorter term trials to see how it goes? Are you starting to see volumes pick up with the, with the QSRs? So you have a couple of things going on. You see trials as they're testing it. You know, you might test something in, let's say, February, March 2022, and that won't get input into the system until September as a permanent um, item 2023. You know, these restaurants plan well in advance and they plan their other promotions, et cetera. So um, lots of them are successful trials like KFC having uh, Beyond Chicken Nuggets and Pizza Hut having Beyond um, on their pizzas and um Burger King with Impossible Foods. So you see quite a few of the QSRs trying them and in places around the world like Europe, which is really more advanced than the United States. I kind of hinted at that before. Um, you're seeing McDonald's really double down on Beyond Meat, for example, in Germany, in the UK, and even in Austria. So, um, and Asia growing rapidly in their use of alternative proteins. So, you know, before COVID, you, it was very spotty where you might be able to find a plant-based burger, for example. We always talk about the burger, but of course there's other stuff, right? Like sausage and deli meats. It's all there, folks. But um, it, it used to be hit or miss. Now after COVID, because everybody went to Google and they figured out what's better for their health. And they started really taking their health into their own hands. Like they take their finances and they're investing into their own hands. And um, people have stayed with plant-based options even after COVID. Now they might not cook it at home. So grocery store sales have gone down a little bit because people are back to work and they're eating at the work cafeteria and they're out with their friends after dinner. So they're buying less grocery stores at home. That college kid who used to be on the couch, they're back at college. So groceries are down, but restaurant sales are really up and we're seeing food service really up because if you maybe were considering a plant-based option before COVID, after COVID, you must have at least one, if not two, plant-based items on the menu. Uh, another question for you: You know, you're you're very dedicated to your mission. You're very well spoken about it too. I know that you're doing a tour of the United States and then Europe, and kind of out on a campaign here. Um, I'm certain I'm certain that you've run into critics along the way. It seems like anybody who's dedicated to anything that's going to change the world or make an impact, you're going to have people that are going to push back on it. What is one of the most common criticisms you keep hearing over and over from people that don't want to change the way things are done right now? And, and how do you respond to that? There's a couple of things I hear. People often tell me you're so certain. And that sort of maybe is um, unsettling to them. And it's just, I'm so immersed in the research. Most people don't think about these things, but I'm so Im immersed, not just in the food and the food technology, but what's happening on the political agenda, the national security agenda, the um, investing landscape, I mean, all these things work in tandem. So I just see this perfect storm coming together. And then people often say, well, you know, you're trying to change the world. I'm only telling you the factors that are out there that maybe you're not seeing. I'm not saying anything that isn't 
out there and um, a fact. So it's not my perspective per se. I mean, if you ask me what I do, I mean, who cares what I do, first of all, but if you were to ask me, I'd be like, oh no, I'm the one cooking at home, making my own quinoa and black bean. I mean, no one has time for that. No one else is doing that. I don't expect anybody would. I'm not asking anyone to eat the way I eat. In fact, I don't eat meat. And all I'm trying to do is get you the meat you want. So I, I don't, it's not really that I want change in the world. It's that I want a more sustainable planet. I want a better um, food supply system. And luckily, who cares what I think? I'm not the only one. Gen Z, politicians, legacy, food players, they all want the same thing. So they're the ones changing the world. And I'm just telling investors that it's coming if they're interested in getting involved. Yeah. And I know that you guys are actively managing the ETF, right? You're not run, relying on a third party for the administration of this, but uh, that keeps us from talking about the individual names in it. But I still am allowed to ask the question of how do you think about the positions that you're putting into the ETF? Can you talk a little bit about your methodology, the things that you will look for, you know, as you're investing in this space with the intention of making profits for those that invest in your ETF, what are some of the considerations that go through your head? I love this. And we have a very set methodology. So it's not something that's going through our head. It's a very strict methodology. And we have um, two proprietary algorithms, one to mitigate drawdown and one in momentum times. Obviously, we're not in momentum times quite yet. Uh, but one day we will get back to momentum times in the market. So we do have these proprietary algorithms. And then we have a methodology. And that methodology is um, as we screen out globally throughout the world, um, we're not interested in the companies that are supporting an old food system because we think that's going to be obsolete and therefore bad uh, investment opportunity. So we screen in those companies that are actively innovating for food systems transformation through um, sustainable innovation. So those companies, and then after we've screened out for anyone who's not doing that kind of in, in innovation and screened in all those people who are, then we screen for financials, profitability, revenue, and um, we look at their overall financial health with the understanding of knowing that some of them are working on technologies right now, or they're about to scale technology. So our knowledge of the sector becomes very valuable here. It's very rare to see an ETF run by sector experts. And that's where some of the greenwashing criticism comes in. Because if, if you're trying to do something that's very specific and you don't have knowledge of that specific theme, to me, that seems like a recipe for the disaster. So our um, expertise in the sector does play a big role there. Then in addition, we look um, for any other externalities that might give us reason for pause or reason for risk, such as, you know, management issues, or if there have been any labor disputes in the press or any, any of the other ESG considerations. Um, but that's only, you know, skimming through the press and, and just making sure that there's nothing slipping by us. But primarily, we're not supporting the old system, screening in for innovators in the new system, and then checking for financial health and potential upside there with new innovations. Well, once again, Elizabeth Alfano, the CEO of Veg Invest, Veg Tech Invest, excuse me, and the creator of the EatV ETF, which is the world's first plant-based innovation and climate ETF. Elizabeth, on a campaign across North America and Europe right now, thanks for taking the time to join us on the Seven Investing Podcast. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me. And thanks everybody for tuning in to this edition. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are Seven Investing. <laughs>